0: Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 22nd of 2012, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book, on page 139, the third paragraph that starts when dealing with an alcoholic. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Anne, the 12 Traditions, Marietta, and the readers Kim, Rick, Judy, Sharon, Hoodie, in that order. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 21st of February, was 3948. Three nine four eight. O.A. Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Anne to read the 12 steps, please.
1: Hi, good morning. This is Anna, compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. The 12 steps. 1. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. I thank you. I pass.
0: Thank you, Anne. And now I will ask Marietta to read the 12 traditions.
1: Hi,
2: this is Marietta. The 12 traditions is Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeat is anonymous, has no opinion on outside issues, hence, the OA name ought never, never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Marietta. How our meeting works Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today, we will resume our study of the big book on page 139, the third paragraph that begins when dealing with an alcoholic. And I will now ask him to start reading, please.
3: Thanks, Monica.
0: When
4: dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling rising. A look at the alcoholic in your organization is many times illuminating. Is he not usually brilliant, vast thinking, imaginative, and likable? When sober, does he not work hard and have a knack for getting things done? If he had these qualities and did not drink, would he be worth retaining? Should he have the same consideration as other ailing employees? Is he worth salvaging? If your decision is yes, yes, whether the reason for humanitarian or business or both, then the following suggestions may be helpful. Can you describe the feeling that you are dealing only with habit and stubbornness or a weak will? If this presents difficulty, rereading chapters two and three, where the alcoholic sickness is discussed at length, might be worthwhile. You, as a businessman, want to know their necessities before considering the result. If you concede that your employee is ill, can he be forgiven for what he has done in the past? Can his past absurdities be forgotten? Can he be appreciated that he has been a victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol in his brain? Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I uh, looked at this this morning beforehand and decided to read three paragraphs because it it really does kind of link it in. Once again, we're in the chapter to the employers. You know, we've talked about what the alcoholic goes goes through. We've talked about for the wives and the family, what what the family goes through who loves the alcoholic. But this is an employer. This is someone who has his own agenda. He has a business. The business needs to be profitable. He needs his employees to be on the team. On the team. So he's looking at this alcoholic who says in the first paragraph, you know, that the man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible because he's not an alcoholic. Listen, I have a job for you to do. Why aren't you doing it? Why are you acting so weak, stupid, and irresponsible? The next paragraph talks about those questions that it's confusing. He's as baffled as we are. He sees this employee has talent. He sees this employee when he is sober being able to contribute to his business. So why? Why, why, How can he deal with this person? How can he capitalize on the talents of this man and at the same time recognize that he's got this malady, this malady? So that paragraph talks about rereading the chapters of two and three. What is two and three? Two is there is a solution and more about alcoholism. So what do those chapters teach the employer? There is a solution goes over our malady. It goes over that twofold nature that we are have an allergy of the body, and we have an obsession of the mind. That we have lost the choice in drink. That this person's brain has been attacked such that he he thinks that he keeps going back to the to the to the drink. And the more about alcoholism. We learn about the insanity when we're sober. So this this employer is saying. You know, he's even more insane when he's sober. He's angry, he's restless, he's irritable, he's discontent. He can't do the job. know, so can you see him? says here, can it be appreciated that he has been a victim of a crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol in his brain? So it's asking this employer, you know this person. You know the abilities. You know the, the strengths he has. Are you able to look at him as a sick person and allow him the opportunity to get well? And if that person doesn't want to get well, he's probably not worth retaining. But it's saying, look at this man, separate the, the malady from the man that you know he could be as an employee, and see if there's a way that you give him the opportunity to work these steps, get well, and come back and contribute to your business. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to share on these three paragraphs that were read? I one to unmute.
5: Well, this is Monica, and I'll share Su- a little bit. So,
0: hi,
6: go ahead. Hi, I'm Suzanne, compulsive overeater.
0: Go ahead,
2: Suzanne.
6: Hi, thank you, thank you, Monica, for your service. Um, this is really an interesting chapter in the big book, I think, because it. Kind of relies on the kindness, empathy, sympathy, and compassion of others, which doesn't often it, it doesn't often extend to overeaters, alcoholics, or anybody in society is perceived as being weak of will. Um, however, one of the things that really struck me is that we have a malady of the body. I'm, I'm sorry, we have a malady of the mind. I'm a little I'm a little sleepy this morning. And of the spirit, and when I think about my food addiction, I think about that in terms of being compassionate about it towards myself. I, unlike other people, need to admit that I am a compulsive overeater, and therefore need to do different things with food than people who are not compulsive overeaters. I have a responsibility to my employer. I have a responsibility to me, and to my own health that needs to be attended to, but I can't carry that responsibility unless I take the first step every day because this addiction really tricks me. I sometimes think I'm like other people and I'm not. I need to turn my will over to my higher power so that I can be of service to whoever is employing me in any way. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of state that I appreciate the responsibility on both ends, on my end, on the end of the employer, and with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Susan. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs?
4: Good morning. This is Margaret, New Jersey.
0: Good morning, Margaret. Please share.
4: Good morning, Monica. I'm just going to put this one sentence, and I hope I'm... Uh, he has been a victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol on his brain. And I, I was just, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of days, just how my thinking is, it got so crooked, had, had it been so crooked by the action of alcohol on his brain. And once, you know, once the food is down and once the, you know, the reality of life starts to hit, you know, my thinking still, I still need to get help with my thinking because it, I have a lot of old patterns, which the steps are what, or what, um, take those patterns and, and readjust them, realign them, realign them to God's will. And so uh, this thought of the crooked thinking, and I think, you know, as it's saying here that the employer has to recognize this, I think the most important part is that we recognize it, that we recognize that I have a crooked thinking directly caused by the action of certain uh, substances created in foods that create a phenomenon of craving in me. And that um as long as
0: I'm aware of that,
4: you know, then then the other people around me, whether they're aware of it, is as important. And with that I'll pass thanks.
0: Thank you, Margaret. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Okay, this is Monica. I'm going to go ahead. A couple of things here jumped out at me here. The very first sentence that we read, when dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance, or annoyance, an irritation, something that irritates, that troubles, or disturbs, that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling arise. And I, I think this is important that this is written in here. Because I, as a compulsive overeater myself, have come to an understanding about this. But you know, that little natural annoyance sometimes still rears its little head. And it's just amazing to me. And it's like, whoa, well, whoa, well, okay, Monica, you know, love and tolerance. We are all sick cookies. Oops, sorry. And then the other thing was. Um, Can you discard the feeling that you are dealing only with habit, with stubbornness, or a weak will? You know, when this book was written back in the 30s, um, alcoholism was considered a moral issue, you know? It was considered a matter of somebody being uh, weak, uh, being uh, weak-willed, you know, uh, a habit, being stubborn. And um, with this book... And with the 100 recovered alcoholics, you know, it came about that hey, we do have a disease, and it's a twofold disease with the allergy, um, physical allergy component, and the mental obsession com- component. And so I think this is good that you know he's he's bringing this out to the employer, you know, that these people do have a disease. It's not a matter of being weak will. And with that, I would pass. And would anybody else like to share on these paragraphs? Okay, Rick, would you continue reading, please?
7: Good morning, Rick, compulsive overeater. I well remember the shock I received when a prominent doctor in Chicago told me of cases where pressure of the spinal fluid actually ruptured the brain. No wonder an alcoholic is strangely irrational. Who wouldn't be with such a fevered brain? Normal drinkers are not so affected, nor can they understand the aberrations of the alcoholic a man has probably been trying to conceal a number of scrapes, perhaps pretty messy ones. They may be disgusting. Disgusting. You may be at a loss to understand how such a seemingly above-board chap could be so involved. But these scrapes can generally be charged, no matter how bad, to the abnormal action of alcohol on his mind. When drinking or getting over a bout, an alcoholic sometimes, the model of honesty when normal, will do incredible things. Afterward, his revulsion will be terrible. Nearly always, these antics indicate nothing more than temporary conditions. Well, these these paragraphs are talking about the physical problems that an alcoholic suffers. And I think when we look at it from a compulsive overeater's viewpoint uh it's it's going to be a little bit different because especially in the workplace because we're going to a lot of our ailments are going to be visible to our employees employers and um so it it, it we're not talking as much about um you know our brain being um so uh distorted like an alcoholic being drunk. Even though our brains are distorted, we're not not doing the irrational things, the cracking up the cars and the getting in jail and being arrested. It's a little bit different. And I think this is a a reason why in the previous paragraph, we send people back to to those two chapters, chapters uh, two and three, to read about the disease. And somebody needs to understand about, one, the powerlessness of our disease, the unmanageability that it's brought in our lives, and the solution, uh, step two. And that's what those chapters are about, steps one and two, that the solution is a spiritual one. And I think um, it's more difficult, more difficult for an employer to grasp the idea of the unmanageability and um, and the powerlessness that people have over food, I think with alcohol, people might get it just a little bit, a little bit more, but with food, it's not so. I I know people think uh, differently. There there is less empathy for a compulsive overeater than there is for an alcoholic. So I love the way they say, go back and reread some chapters, and they're assuming that the employer has read this book to this point. They're assuming that they're, they've they read it and, and now they're, they're reading the chapter that's written to them, and if they don't get it, go back and read some more. So with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Rick. Would anyone like to share on these two paragraphs? Hi, this is Judy. Good morning, Judy. Please share.
4: Good morning, Monica. Thanks for your service. This is Judy F. from Massachusetts, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I can just so identify in, and I, I think for me, it my the scrapes I got into, and it, it was a lot. I could hide. I thought I was hiding it, and um, what I was doing, I was in sales, and to get my my food, my binge foods. Um, and I lived like sometimes a model the model of honesty when normal and will do incredible things, so I thought I was honest, and yet to get my drugs my my binge foods um and and also to try to control it through ex over exercise, I did very dishonest things with my during my work day um i I would make up going to a customer site so that I could go um, exercise because I had binged the night before. I would um, take extra time at lunchtime to get when I was on that the high end and, and trying to get you know go to three or four different places to get um, my binge foods. So I was taking more than an hour, um, and I thought I was hiding this, and um, and it ended up I was let go later on, but. So I think for compulsive eaters for me, I could be very sneaky and think that um, I'm getting away with something and it's really living in dishonesty. And it came back to bite me because, and I would make up proposals for customers, make up customers so that they thought I was, you know, canvassing and um, getting a lot of customers in the, in the pipeline. And, and it, it came it you know, it's, the consequences came, but it was all. That's what I did to try to get my binge foods, and then to try to get rid of the consequences. Um, you know, I would I would go come into work late because I had been working out, or because I had binged and I couldn't get up. So it's it was a dark period, and definitely, you know, this disease goes into all the areas of our life when it progresses, and to me, it progressed at a very low bottom. Um, and others could see at night I was just in major denial and um, and rationalized my behavior, um saying I could be flexible with my time, and it was all about how I could get my my um, drug and get away with it and get what I want. with that I passed
0: Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to care?
4: I was wondering if you could clear the lines there 's been somebody breathing and sniffling a lot in the background it 's been pretty distracting.
0: Thank you. Would anyone else like to share?
5: Hi, this is Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, go ahead. Hi, Monica. Thanks for sharing the meeting. Um, Anne-Marie, uh, Compulsive eater here, and this has been very helpful for me to the employers, um, you know, as the Compulsive Eater, for me to be more understanding with the employer. Um the the is written so that the employer can understand the alcoholic. But as the um alcoholic or um I should say, helpful for me to see their viewpoint and um, area, um, they have they have a business to perform. This isn't a loving spouse This isn't, um, you know, a a brother or a a sister of mine that's going to be understanding with me. This is an employer that needs to run a business. And, um, you know, I was just thinking how judgmental of this person, you know. But that's being judgmental of me because they don't understand the depth of this disease. Um, And the other thing I was thinking um, in my recovery, um, I can't expect, special um, special treatment, you know. Um, with, with um, in, in my food program I eat um, I work nights and I, I have a, um, a nutritionist who had given me this program to eat at a certain time, or eat eat more, more frequently. Um, and so I can make stuff, so I can do what I'm doing because I'm special, because I have this disease that To my co workers, but I have to be a worker among workers. Um, and you um, need to remember that lots of people do not understand, especially like it's been said, like Monica was saying, it does not understand the, the compulsive eater as much as the alcoholic. I think some people can be more sympathetic with or even empathize because alcohols infect so many people, but um, many people who have the compulsive eating. Um, problem uh, I I think I'll, I'll look down upon so I need to remember as as the compulsive eater not to be judgmental of my employer who doesn't understand who may not have read this chapter you know and if the opportunity arises maybe I can be helpful in that way but not to shove it down anybody's throat either so thank you
0: thank you Anne Marie And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Judy F., can you read that, please?
4: This is not to say that all alcoholics are honest and upright when not drinking. Of course that isn't so, and such people often may impose on you. Seeing your attempt to understand and help, some men will try to take advantage of your kindness. If you are sure your man does not want to stop, He may as well be discharged, the sooner the better. You are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Firing such an individual may prove a blessing to him. It may be just the jolt he needs. I know, in my particular case, that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me for so long as I was able to hold my position. I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. Had they fired me first and had they then taken steps to see what I was presented with the solution contained in this book, I might have returned to them six months later as a well man. And this is still Judy, a compulsive overeater. Um and this is me. Boy, no coincidence that I read this paragraph. This was me. Um you know, I, I was uh definitely uh Definitely not not i it, it ended up um, near the end as I had been, work ethic was always strong um, in me, but with this um progression of this illness of my compulsive overeating, near the end i I was not um, an honest worker. I didn't put in a full day's work, um, and you know the disease was first in my life, and so I was let go um and at the time it it was so humiliating for me but it was the bottom i needed god got my attention and i think so much you know we can enable the the alcoholic and the compulsive overeater and a lot of people in my life had and i ha- i had to lose um my job and and um my family and friends to Break through the denial. And I think denial is so strong in this illness of addiction. And um, I had to see that, you know, my self will got me, you know, unemployed, um, no friends, uh, my relationships with my family were horrible. And I had to then um, concede. And uh, for me, it was first through a a treatment center. And right away, they got me in the big book and right away, taking the first three steps while I was there and then working the steps thereafter and learning how to put program first. But for me I couldn't put program first when when my job um you know, I was still playing the games with my job and saying, Well not that bad, you know. Um and that was always um I would go to meetings and say, Well not that bad so I don't really need this or I can I can go a few days and not binge so I I just have to put my mind to this, but it really is a blessing to um, fire the, the individual because sometimes that will break, that got my attention and I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I pass.
8: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? It's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Please share.
8: Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name's is Leah. I'm a recovered Compulsive overeater. We're in chapter 10 to the employers. And, you know, this is written uh, so that it can make an effort to enlighten employers about alcoholism and about the pervasiveness of of this disease and how it affects the workplace. And, uh, you know, it obviously is giving suggestions on intervention procedures. And here we see it's cautioning against enabling the alcoholic. So it says, if you are sure your man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged the sooner the better. You are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. So again, you know, a book that was penned by more than uh, 100 men and women who had recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and who spent their lives uh, trying to assist alcoholics to recovery are, uh, you know, offering some tough love here. I mean, these men and women went to any lengths to help these, you know, uh, alcoholics out of the quicksand. um, But you can see that they know willingness is a one person job that uh there is no one that is going to be able to plead with an alcoholic not the wife not the hubby not the uh not the parents not the doctors not the employers you know this disease um has to have its say that's it you know, pain drives us here, and uh, if we don't remember who and what we are and we leave, well, hopefully we'll be lucky enough that pain will drive us back. You know, that, that is the uh, the realities of our disease. It says, if you are sure your man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged. The sooner the better. You are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. You know, we let John Barleycorn be the greatest persuader uh, pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change in people like you and I. You know, people pleaded with me, doctors pleaded with me, parents pleaded with me, Mr. John Shalpak, my boss, pleaded with me. Um, but it was going to be the disease that was going to have to beat me into a state of reasonableness. Firing such an individual may pro- prove a blessing to him. I mean, it you know, it <laughs> doesn't sound like a blessing to get a pink slip on your desk. But here it's saying, you know what, let this alcoholic feel the consequences. Let this alcoholic feel what it's like to be irresponsible, to be unreliable, unpredictable, you know, uh, inconsistent. Let him get those consequences. Don't keep enabling him. You know, and it's very easy to get into, I know, because – you know, we are talented, we have strengths, God gives us each uh, certain strengths and abilities and talents and intellect, and when these alcoholics were sober, uh, I'm sure they perform performed very, very well, and they are, you know, can be charismatic individuals who are engaging and enthusiastic at their jobs, but it's that old Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, syndrome, you know, that Yes, when sober, they do all these wonderful things and and can be the best salesman on the lot. But uh, let them drink for a day, and they'll pull the whole structure down on themselves and everybody around it. It says it, it may be just the jolt he needs. You know, we don't know what we're up against when we're young in the disease of alcoholism or compulsive overeating, and we don't understand the depths to which this disease takes us. But when we are beaten to a pulp, when we are bloodied, and when we've been beaten into a state of reasonableness, we come here destroyed because we have nowhere else to go. Because we can't live and because we can't die. That was my bind. I was cornered. It says here, I know in my own particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me. For so long as I was able to hold my position, I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. I mean, uh, you know, Mr. John Schaupack called me into his office in, uh, you know, I guess it was 1982, 1983. It took five more years, five more years of the progression of this disease to ring me around uh, the boxing arena and beat me to a bloody pulp till my eyes were so swollen shut I could not see. That's what it took, you know, and that is the reality because our pain has no memory. For a long time, our pain has no memory, you know, divorce threats, uh, threats of loss of job, uh, people breathing down our neck to stop binging, to stop eating, to stop purging, to stop starving, you know, (laughs) Uh, but, but the disease will have its say. Pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. You know, I love to laugh. I love to laugh in the fellowship, but it was not the laughter that brought me here. That is for sure. It is the tears. It was the fear. It was the terror. It was the desperation that I felt that at least at, certain po- at a certain point, uh, you know, had me crawling in here, tombstones in my eyes, ready to surrender and say, I give up. Please help me find God. And with that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Leah. would anyone else like to share on this paragraph?
8: This is Katie.
0: Good morning, Katie. Go ahead. I'm Katie, a recovered
4: compulsive overeater in Virginia. This is not to say that all alcoholics are honest and upright when not drinking. Um, I had this experience with, um, as an employer, I, you know, I've been abstinent and sober for many, many years, and, As it turned out, I was a supervisor of um, staff in a law firm, and I had two people that I hired who were in recovery. And they used that against me that I should give them um, special treatment. And, you know, when they uh, fell down on the job and ended up getting fired, they threw the fact that I was in a program in my face and said, you know, how can you do this? We're sisters in recovery. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I had to let them hit their own bottom. Their consequences, you know, had to fall, regardless of the fact that, you know, they maybe were uh, not in their disease, but their life was not a program, you know, they were not living a life of recovery. (laughs) Their actions did not match what they were uh, claiming in their life. And, you know, that's why it's so good that they have this um, chapter in here because we have to remember, you know, this is talking in more of a general way about the public, that, you know, it's not talking about the person who walks in the door of a meeting and you know there's this level of desperation, hopefully, that's already there because they got in the car and they came to the meeting or they picked up the phone and they dialed into this meeting and they introduced themselves as a newcomer. That's a level of surrender, at least a little bit of surrender that's there. We're talking about out in the world with people who you know, are in the middle of their disease and they may not have any desire whatsoever for recovery. And, you know, I just think it's great that employers can pick up this book and have something um, to look at to understand what they're dealing with. But it's certainly not a cure. It's not up to our employers to, you know, get people into recovery. Um, They can Understand it and uh hopefully not be judgmental, but you know this is this is information for them and um I'm just grateful that it's in here
5: thanks
0: thank you katie and let's move on
5: and Sharon, would you read the next few paragraphs, please Lord? Good morning, Monica. Did you say read the next two paragraphs or few paragraphs?
0: Few. Three.
4: You. Three? Okay. Yes. But there are, this is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be on the line, and thank you, Monica, for your service. But there are many men who want to stop, and with them, you can go far. Your understanding treatment of their cases will pay dividends. Perhaps you have such a man in mind. He wants to quit drinking and you want to help him, even if it be only a matter of good business. You know, you now know more about alcoholism. You can see that he is mentally and physically sick. You are willing to overlook his past performances. Suppose an approach is made something like this. State that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. You might say you appreciate his abilities, would like to keep him, but cannot if he continues to drink. A firm attitude at this point has helped many of us. You want me to stop there, Monica? Yes. Okay, Thanks. great. I will stop there. So we just... we. What we see here is, first of all, we look at paragraph. The first paragraph that I read: there are many men who want to stop, and with them you can go far. How do you know if a man wants to stop? Well, that's what we call if the if the humility. The person is showing humility. They have a desire, and as sponsors, we do that with our sponsees. We look for. A willingness they want to stop. So, are they demonstrating some humility? And it says then to the the next sentence. It says your understanding treatment of their cases will pay dividends. Why will it pay dividends? Because that compulsive overeater is valuable. You are valuable. We are valuable to our employers to our families to our communities we are worth having an employer take a little extra effort to help us to spend some time to take that to make that investment in us in order that we can turn our lives around and become productive we are worth that we are valuable and here we recognize that we used to say, my eating doesn't hurt anyone. We could see how drinking, the drinker, the alcoholic, the the cocaine addict, the we could see how their addictions impact others. But we would say, and you hear it in the rooms, my eating doesn't affect anyone. I'm sitting here by myself eating my food in my dark room, i'm not hurting anyone leave me alone if i want to kill myself eating let me do that it's not hurting anyone but the employer is saying your eating affects me your family is saying your eating affects me now will you say well i don't have my family i'm all by myself but your employer and then you say, well, I'm not even working. I'm sitting here by myself, not affecting anyone. But the good that you would do is not getting done. The work that you would do is not being accomplished. As it says here in the big book, it says it many times. The It says it about the alcoholic being a person that is typically very intelligent, has a lot of skills and abilities. So, too, with the, alcohol, uh, the uh, compulsive overeater. We have skills, we have talents, we have abilities that we could be contributing if we got out of our our disease. So our recovery isn't just about ourselves. It's about having that impact. It's about that employer who needs a job done, a job done that we could be doing and excelling in if our face wasn't down in the food, if we were not escaping into a fantasy land if we didn't allow the issues and the and the challenges to be excuses for us not living and it says that and then it goes on to say what approach that they should take in dealing with us but the main point that i want to make here is that we have to be receptive and that means that we have to want to recover. There's no amount of reading this book, no amount of talking with us, nothing that our employers can do that will help us if we aren't willing to be helped, if we aren't willing, if we're not surrendered and open. But in conclusion... With my part here, I want to say that we are worth the effort that our employers would take to help make us, to help us be a part of that job, be a part of that work environment. We are worth that effort. And our employers see that. They know that the, the, the energy that they put into us will pay dividends. But we need to cooperate with them. We need to cooperate with life so that we can turn ourselves around. So with the help of God and our fellows, and then we see now with our employers, with our community, wanting us to be back with them, wanting us to be a part of, because we are needed, we are valuable. And there is much that needs to be done that's not being done. Because we're face down in the food. So our recovery is not just about us. It's about the good that we would do. And with
5: that I pass.
0: Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone would it would anyone like to share on these paragraphs?
5: Star one to unmute. It's Leia, go ahead, Leah.
8: Thank you very much. Uh, but there are many men who want to stop, and with them, you can go far because willingness is a one person job again, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices you know people people have said to these alcoholics, Don't drink, you know that's not a news flash. <laughs> their parents told them not to drink. Their doctors told them not to drink. You know, their siblings told them not to drink. Perhaps their children told them not to drink. Here's their employer telling them, don't drink. You know, no newsflash for people like you and me. You know, we, we hear that uh, up the kazoo. Willingness is a one-person job. If that person wants to recover, with them you can go far. Because, you know, we have a lot of energy. Alcoholics have a lot of energy. Compulsive overeaters, we do have a lot of energy now. When we take that energy that's been channeled to self-destruction and we point it towards recovery and contribution and cooperation with the grace of God and offering some of our strengths and talents and uh vivaciousness out to the world and to the uh employer here, to our families, to our communities. Uh we can be very you know, we're we're very each one of us very special, each one of us unique. Each one of us has a job to do. So it says, but there are many men who want to stop and with them you can go far. Uh but then in the bottom, of course, it says, state that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. Here's the tough love. Here is that tough love coming in, and here is that cautionary word uh, to employers against enabling the alcoholic. State that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. The buck stops here. You might say you appreciate his abilities and you would like to keep him, but cannot if he continues to drink a firm attitude at this point has helped many of us the buck stops here you know this is the intervention this is hello you know you, your behavior is affecting other people you might have good intentions mr alcoholic you might have good intentions mrs compulsive overeater but you know what the world doesn't care about your intentions what the world cares about is your actions that's what the world cares about you can have good intentions from here till tomorrow. No one cares. And you know what? No one cares about your feelings either. Maybe your spouse. People care about our actions. So when this employer states that to his employee that you know about his drinking, that it must stop, what it's saying is okay. Your irresponsibility, your unreliability, your undependability, Mrs. Compulsive Overeater, Mr. Alcoholic, is catching up with you. Your inconsistency and your unpredictability and the fact that you're so touchy and sensitive some mornings, that's catching up to you. You're cornered now. You are cornered now. So, you know, I always like to think, you know, honesty without compassion could be hurtful. That's true. That is true, This could, these words could be hurtful, but compassion without honesty is deadly. For people like you and I, compassion without honesty is deadly. And with that, I pass, thank you. Thank
3: you, Leia.
0: Would anyone else like to share on this?
3: This is Christy.
0: Christy, go ahead.
3: Hi, good morning, Monica. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Christy and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, i just like to say from my perspective, um, you know, in 1994, I weighed 340 pounds and I I never talked to anyone about, you know, I never talked to anyone about my weight. Um, Although clearly, um, even at, uh, you know, 6'1", 340 pounds doesn't look pretty. And... um, you know I was at work, I was at work, and you know, for whatever reason, you know call it Providence or serendipity or whatever word you want to use, but for me, um, the pain had gotten so great that I actually um, mentioned it to a coworker. I just said, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to do something about this weight, right? There was nothing wrong with my mind, um, in my own mind, of course, but I had to do something about this weight. And, and that fellow employee happened to be in AA and asked me if I'd ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous and uh, took me to my first meeting. Um, so it wasn't an employer, but a fellow employee. You know, that's what I heard about at work. And... Um, You know, I can be the message at work. I can be the message at work. You know, I never thought I was a bad employee. Of course, I never thought I was a bad employee until I stopped eating compulsively and got a chance to, you know, hold a mirror up to my behavior and see what an actual, you know, what an employee I was realistically. um, You know, and it wasn't just eating candy bars in the bathroom stalls, but, you know, I would encourage my, and you know, fellow my colleagues to continue working, and then you know, make a suggestion that perhaps the people we were working with would want some treats, and you know, people who were heads down at work would say, "Sure, that sounds like a great idea." Well, I'll go get them, you know, if you'd like. I'd be happy to do that, you know, if you all just want to keep working. And you know, an hour later, I'd come back, and um, you know, that's the kind of employee I was. So it looked like I was helpful, but of course. It was for my own, you know, (laughs) it was for my own um, hidden agenda that I was being helpful. So today at work, what I can do is carry the message. I can practice these principles in all my affairs. And, you know, it's not up to me to say that someone who is morbidly obese, who is at the vending machine, uh, you know, every time I go refill water, you know, or whatever at work, that they're in pain. But I can open myself up to sharing my message of recovery, just like someone did for me. Um, I, I don't evangelize recovery, but I, you know, I'm open about my recovery. And perhaps someday, because of that, someone might ask me more questions about it. And um, you know, again, that's just my experience. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Christy. Would anyone else like to share on this?
9: Yes, I'd like to share. Go ahead. Who, who is this? Uh, my name's Steve, and I'm a recovering overeater. Go ahead, and, Steve. Okay, listening to these passages and the shares, I, I realized that uh, I, I have been a controlled overeater my whole life. So it never really got to the point where I was falling on my face, losing job or anything like that. And there is where my problem is more because I'm on a lukewarm type of uh, denial about the insanity. Perhaps not the acting out because I was able to control it never went that far, but the insanity on the inside. You've got to be get to that point where it would help that guy. It would help that guy if he got fired. So this whole... Denial of the disease and the insanity between my ears. Uh, I, I appreciate this these passages because I am also crazy with this disease. And when I uh, look at just the uh, uh, effects on my body, it's not so pressing. But when I I remember reading somewhere that our weakness is our strength. And I'm just going to concentrate on that because the insanity, I have no control over the eating. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Steve, for sharing. This is Monica, and I'd like to uh, piggyback a little bit on what Leah was saying. That last paragraph, state that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. Now, this is the employer. We're talking to the employer, and they're given the big book here, The First 100 Recovered Alcoholics. are so, given the employer here some instructions. State that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. You might say you appreciate his abilities, would like to keep him, but cannot if he continues to drink. A firm attitude at this point has helped many of us. And like was said, you know, some understanding and some ca- some compassion, but at the same time here, very much some firm love. And that the, bo- the book stops here, you know not giving any wiggle room here because you know boy we love it if there's a little bit of wiggle room and we can work our way or finagle our way around it so here it's very you know the buck stops here this is how it is i know you have a problem and there's help for you and this is what needs to be done and with that we have run out of time and it's now uh thank you everyone who has shared And we will now close the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Hoodie, could you read a vision for you, please?
10: Hi. Good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you for your service. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.